today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. the hand of God. Begin to get eyes that see the many wonderful ways in the big ways and in the little ways of life that God is blessing you and taking care of you and watching over you. Begin to get a sense for not just the big amazing things, but in all the everyday ways that God is taking care of you. Don't miss the hand of God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. God works in our lives both through miracles and through providence. Miracles are obvious when they occur, but providence is subtle and in the background of our lives. Pastor Gary challenges us today to be aware of Jesus' providence. These will be the small things, like the places He puts us, or short, substantial moments He guides us to take part in. These subtle works throughout our lives are always occurring, and by being aware of them, we will recognize Jesus' great love for us. Today, look for all of Christ's movement in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 78 for part two of today's message titled, When Life is Good, Don't Forget God. We have to understand that the relationship with God is through thick and thin, through bad times and good times, and never forget Him when He blesses us in such wonderful ways. Look again at verses 4 through 8. This is the warning that Asaph gives about the next generation. He says in verse 4, he says, We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. You see this emphasis that he places here on all of this? He says, listen, the next generation hangs in the balance. We need to hear this in our day. Your kids are watching you. God cannot just be a God who helps you in the bad times. He must be a God also that you worship in the good times. You must demonstrate to your kids that when God is good and his blessings abound, that you will not forget him, but you will press into him continually, thankfully, gratefully, worshipfully, honoring him. Because it is from him that every good and perfect gift comes. Asaph says, teach it to the next generation. Let your children see it. Let their children that are yet unborn know about it in due time. Because you are modeling it for them as someone who never forgets God when life is good. Now, how then 
are we to enjoy the good life without forgetting God? How are we to enjoy the good life and still live a godly life? Well, in this psalm, there are three times that Asaph says that the children of God put God to the test. Three times in this psalm and in three different ways, it says that the Israelites put God to the test. Verse 18, verse 41, and verse 56. So I'm a simple man with a simple understanding of things. And so here's, here's how we're going to approach Psalm 78 in the remaining time we have left. We're going to kind of look at the way that the Israelites put God to the test. And we're going to learn from that. And we're not going to do that. We're going to realize it didn't go well for them because they put God to the test. In what ways did they test God? Let's learn from that so that we can live the good life and the godly life. So let's start first place first. Verse 18, if you go back to verse 18 for a moment, and I, I got to read some verses around it so you get the context of why it was and how it was that they put God to the test. But in verse 18, I'll start at verse 17. It says, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. Verse 18, they willfully put God to the test. You see it? By demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was very angry. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. For you note takers, you can write down the first point. Here's the first lesson we can learn. Guard against discontentment. Guard against discontentment. You know the problem with the Israelites that Asaph points out here? Is that the goodness of God was just not good enough. That's what's happening here. The goodness of God was just not good enough. They were always wanting more which led them to question whether God was even capable of giving them more. And fortunately, you see, the faithfulness of God in times past did not translate in their minds as it should about the faithfulness of God for times future. Let me say it again. The faithfulness of God in times past did not translate in their minds to the faithfulness of God in times future. So they saw what God did, but it just wasn't good enough. Discontent breeds disbelief. They didn't believe God because they were discontent about what God had done. They wanted more. It wasn't enough. They understood, wow, God brought, God brought water out of a rock. They get that. They say in verse 20, when he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But the next question they ask is, but can he also give us food? Can you supply meat? For, I mean, we got the whole water out of the rock thing. That was pretty spectacular, God. We got to hand it to you. I mean, that was pretty awesome seeing water come out of a rock. And it gave water to all of us. But what we kind of want to know is, do you have anything that we can wash down with that water? Because we're kind of hungry, too. We would like to see you do some food miracles. Could you get some food miracles going, God? Thank you for the water. But we kind of want to know if you could do more than that. We do similar stuff. We do. We look at the faithfulness of God, but yet we don't focus on the faithfulness because we, we want what we don't have. Well, I know, God, you got me a good job. That's wonderful. But could you get me a good husband? Could you get me a good wife? 
I see how you work in one way, but I'm not really sure if you're going to work in another way. We see the hand of God, but we don't honestly focus on what he is doing. And so we become discontent. And it escalates. Well, God, I see that you have given me an apartment to live, but could you give me a house? Thank you, Lord, for the house. I see you've given me a house. Could you give me a garage that goes with that? Thank you for the house with the garage, Lord. I'd like a two-car garage if you don't mind. Thank you very much. And now that you give me a house and two-car garage, could you give me a pool? And thank you, Lord, for the house and the two-car garage and the pool. But could you give me a boat? I'd really like to have a second house down by the river. What are we doing? Now, listen, by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And if God blesses you, be good stewards of what he's given you. This is not to be a downer about being successful or, or flourishing in the goodness of God. The perspective is this. Why does it seem to be that we spend more time focusing on what we don't have than praising God for what we do? The Israelites were guilty of focusing on what they don't have. Thank you for the water. We we see that. That's a wonderful miracle. But this is what we want. And they were craving for what they didn't have. They were discontent. And so God says, all right, you hungry? Yeah, we're hungry, Lord. are Are you sure about that? Yeah. We want food. We kind of want it now. All right. I'll I'll, I'll give you food. Look at the rest of the passage. Verse 23. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. What is that? Talk to me. What is that? The bread of angels. Krispy Kreme donuts. You're not far from the kingdom. You got it. You got it. All right. And so he, men ate the bread of angels and he sent them all the food that they could eat. All that they could eat. And he let loose the east wind from the heavens. Wait, there's more. And led forth the south wind by his power. He rained down meat on them like dust. What's that? What is that? Talk to me. What is that? Chick-fil-A. Come on, people. Chick-fil-A. Get with it. Chick-fil-A. He rains it down. Flying birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp all around their tents. And they ate till they had more than enough, for he had given them what they craved. But before they turned from the food they craved, even while it was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. The good life is a threat to the godly life. Mark this verse down, 1 Timothy 6, 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to learn how to be content people. We need to learn to praise Him more for what we have than focusing on what we don't. You know, I hear people all the time going around talking about Psalm, uh, sorry, uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's a great verse. I love that verse. But do you understand the context of that verse? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. You can only do all things through Christ who gives you the strength if you first learn to be content through Christ. Because the verses that precede that wonderful verse go like this. Philippians 4.11 and 12. Paul says, I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. His ability to do all things came from the foundation of contentment in Christ. 
We need to learn to be content so we can live the good life and the godly life. Number two is from verse 41 in this chapter, Psalm 78, verse 41. Let me read some verses around it. Look at verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan. And then in the next 10 verses or so, Asaph recalls six out of the 10 plagues that God brought out upon the Egyptians because they had refused to let the Israelites go free. So I'm not going to read through the list of the plagues, but jump down to verse 52. Verse 52, but he, that is God, brought his people out like a flock and he led them like sheep through the desert. He guided them safely so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. Remember when the Red Sea closed back over uh, the Egyptians who were pursuing the Israelites to try to bring them back into slavery. So in other words, if you notice here, how was it that they put God to the test in, in, in this scenario? How it was that they put God to the test was that they, they just simply did not remember or give regard to his power or his miracles or the way that he worked on their behalf. I mean, notice again the words in verse 42, they did not remember his power. In verse 43, the day he displayed his miraculous signs. His wonders in the region of Zoan. They missed the miracles all along the way. They didn't see the mighty hand of God moving on their behalf. So I think it's a good reminder for us, number two, to see the hand of God in all aspects of life with gratitude. To see the hand of God in all aspects of life with gratitude. The hand of God in the big ways. The hand of God in the little ways. The hand of God in everyday ways. Listen, figuratively speaking, God has two hands. Figuratively speaking, he has a visible hand we call miracles. And he has an unseen hand we call providence. Where he works behind the scenes. The things we can see, we can note the miracles of God. The things we can't see are the providential hand of God. Please hear this. God is always at work on your behalf, either visibly or invisibly, either miraculously or providentially. Don't miss. Don't miss the hand of God. Begin to get eyes that see the many wonderful ways, in the big ways and in the little ways of life, that God is blessing you and taking care of you and watching over you. Begin to get a sense for not just the big amazing things, but in all the everyday ways that God is taking care of you. Don't miss the hand of God. Now, I, I am married to a beautiful woman who has this perspective about God in everyday ways of life. And I'm going to give you an example. I don't think this is going to embarrass her because this is just a wonderful thing that she, she, when she and I go somewhere to some crowded parking lot, like the Cornerstone or something, uh, when we, no, we're going to some, you know, event or, or to the mall or, you know, whatever it might be, <laughs> to the mall. But anyhow, uh, when we go, she's always, always anticipating that God's got a little parking spot right near the front door. Where's my Jesus spot? We're going to find our Jesus spot. I never find a Jesus spot when I'm alone. With her in the car, there's always a Jesus spot somewhere near the front door. 
Always is a Jesus spot. Now, listen, the, you know, we're not going to start a church like first church in the parking lot. All right. Don't don't take this to an extreme. Like you, you seriously believe that, you know, God cares. I'm just talking about if you would open your eyes once in a while, you'd probably see the wonderful little ways that God is at work. You might see the little nuances in your everyday life that just might be the providential hand of God working on your behalf. I'll give you another example in a way that, you know, I've had to kind of grow in, in my relationship with the Lord over the years. So this past week, Terry and I wanted to get away for just a, a quick overnight a little venture. We decided to go up to Lancaster so we could gorge ourselves on Amish food to the glory of God. And so we had the dickens of a time getting out of the house. It's just like one thing came up after another and this and that and the other. And so this was last Sunday afternoon. It's just like one thing after another after another. And I said to her, I said, I'm going to go fill up the car with gas. I'll come back, you know, finish packing and then we'll take off. So I come back with my car and I notice her car in the driveway, her front passenger tire is almost flat. So I'm thinking, okay, now I won't be back till tomorrow. By the time I get back tomorrow, it'll be completely flat. Then I'll have to get out the jack and replace the whole tire. Why don't I just quickly take it, get it filled up with air, drive it to the tire shop. We'll put the key in the drop box. Then we'll go away on our, on our little getaway. And so, but you know what? It adds time to the whole thing. And so by the time we did all that, we're like two to three hours late trying to get out of town. Now, if, if, a few years ago, I would have just been like, you know, just like all worked up and all antsy about stuff. Like, you know, why can't we seem to get out of town? One thing after another and after another and after. And I just would have been kind of like this. I've grown in my faith. All right. You can too. Don't judge me. <laughs> but, but you know what I actually, what I, because by the time we finally got in the car and, and she did say to me, she says, man, it's, it's taking us forever to get away. I said, I know it's taking us forever to get away. And well, we weren't really in a rush. But yet I just paused in that moment. I just thought, you know what? Sometimes, and I've just come to realize this about the way that the Lord may providentially be working on our behalf, sometimes what I consider to be an interruption may very well be God's intervention. Because the two or three hour delay that we had getting away, for all I know, could have been God's way of avoiding us from getting into a terrible car accident. Do you ever think that way? You need to think that way. You think, well, that's over-spiritualizing it. I don't think so. There's going to be things that you're going to find out in heaven you never knew because the providential hand was at work in unseen ways. But we need to start to develop eyes that begin to recognize the goodness of God even in the delays, even in the interruptions, even in the, the inconveniences. Because it just might be that for your benefit and for my benefit, God was at work. See his hand, see his mighty hand at work in ways that are visible and intangible. I don't want to miss God's hand at work. I don't want to attribute good things to good fortune. I want to attribute them to a good God. I want to recognize the miracles of God in the extraordinary and in the ordinary. I want to trust in the providence of God in the little ways and the big ways. And I believe that God is always working on my behalf for my good. Therefore, I can thank him in all things. The last way that they tested him is in verse 56. If you look at verse 56, I'll read 56 through 58. It says, but they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. 
Like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Okay, this is the third way that they put God to the test. Notice in your Bibles, verse 58, high places and idols, high places and idols. The pagan people who occupied the land of Israel before God gave it over to the Jewish people had set up high places as altars and idols to false gods. And God instructed his people, when you get into this land that I'm providing for you, I want you to tear down all their altars. I want you to smash all their idols because you were to serve me and me alone. You were to have no other gods before me. God is the only true and living God. Unfortunately, the people were not faithful. They get into the promised land, and instead of being an influence in the promised land, they allowed the pagan people who had once inhabited it to be an influence on them. They didn't tear down the high places. They didn't smash the idols. They engaged in worldly worship. They practiced what the nations around them did. And for this reason, it grieved God, and they put God to the test. And the reason that they did not destroy the high places or the idols is because of what verse 56 says. They did not keep his statutes. If you do not stay true to the word of God, you will not stay true to the God of his word. We must be people who understand the priority of Scripture the commandments of God, the statutes of God, the law of God. It is important for us to recognize we need to stay true to God by staying true to his word. The Bible is not just something that we should turn to when we are in a critical place. The Bible should be something that we turn to when we're in a comfortable place, when we're living the good life, so that I can guard my heart And my mind, so that I can be reminded of truth in a relative world, so that I can be strengthened against temptation, so I can have the mind of Christ and know the love of God, and so I can be prepared now for the storms that will come later, because I have filled up the reservoir of my soul. This is why we need to stay in God's word. Please don't come to church as the only time that you feed on the word of God. May it be a regular part of your daily time with him so that you can stay true to God by staying true to his word. And maybe, just maybe then, you can live the good life and the godly life when we guard ourselves against discontentment, when we see the hand of God in all aspects of our lives and give thanks to Him, and when we stay true to God and true to His Word. Amen. Amen. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, 
who benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know